on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. March 20 edition of the PFT PM Podcast. First day of spring, and off we go. We're getting closer to the league meetings, and there's one specific rule change I want to discuss here. I want to reiterate some of the views I've expressed elsewhere. I want to make sure there's no misunderstanding about what I think the league needs to do to improve the catch rule. And I've been reminded of a proposal that we had a few years ago that may gain some 11th hour momentum as the league meetings approach. I want to talk about that. I want to play for you an interview with Louisville cornerback Jair Alexander. I talked to him earlier today. Great kid, great player. That'll be coming up in a few minutes. And then I'm going to address some comments that Richard Sherman had at his Tuesday introductory press conference. He'd already done a conference call right after he signed with the 49ers. And I wasn't sure he was going to do a formal press conference. He did that today. And he had some comments about the criticism of his contract. And I want to summarize my criticisms of his contract. I have no criticism at all of him as a player. But I do have criticism of him as an agent, and I continue to stand by it. And I'll explain why, ultimately, it's problematic for Richard Sherman not only to simply represent himself, but also to openly advocate that other players do the same. Because there's a bottom line to all of this that hurts all players. People can say, oh, you're just trying to help the agents. Well, it does help the agents, but the agents help the players. And... Coming up after the Alexander interview, I'll explain in more detail. Then I'll answer some of your questions, 37 and counting today, which is nice. Yesterday, we ended up north of 70. I feel bad when I can't get to all of them. And then when I do a show that's mainly answering questions, people complain that all I did was answer questions. So I'm trying to strike the right balance without going on and on for an hour and a half. So without further ado, let's get right to it. The catch rule. It's coming more and more into focus this year. It's clear that they're going to do something about it that is substantive and real this year, not just tweaking the language. Remember in 2015, there was a ton of momentum for changing the catch rule after the Des Bryant play, and ultimately all they did was alter the language for what it takes to have the ball long enough to transition from receiver to runner. It used to be you had to have the ball long enough to perform an act common to the game. That was the football move. You didn't have to perform a football move. You just had to have the ball long enough to perform a football move, whatever that means. That became a requirement that you have the ball long enough to clearly become a runner. Okay, fine. Well, what does that mean? Who knows? You know it when you see it. It's a subjective standard that is not conducive to replay review, and that's a drum that I've been banging since December after watching most of the regular season games and seeing Al Riveron, I'm trying to think of a kind way to say it, screw up the process multiple times. The Zach Miller example, when that poor kid broke his leg and may never play again and almost had to have his leg amputated, he had his last NFL touchdown catch taken away by a horrible application of replay review. So let's just exempt the third step. The first two elements are easy. You got to have the ball in your hands. You got to have two feet or another body part on the ground. Those are objective. Those are undeniable. You can frame by frame 4K, 1080i, whatever the hell it is, whatever the next standard is, that's the ultimate crystal clear look. You can determine that objectively. Subjectively, there's going to be a time element. Now, What will the time element be? It has to be something. Because if you have a guy catch a pass and immediately get blown up with a clean legal hit, no helmet-to-helmet hit, no hit with the helmet, he's defenseless, but he takes a massive hit from the shoulder to the midsection, and the ball squirts out as soon as the ball arrives. And he has it for a nanosecond, and then he's hit, and it's gone. Is that a catch, or is that not a catch? If you don't have a time element... It's a catch and a fumble. And that defies our expectations as football fans. See, this is all about meshing our expectations as fans with how the NFL does this. And the problem is there's a gap between what the rule says and how it's applied versus what the rest of us think when we see what isn't isn't a catch. So there has to be a third element. Now, we proposed a few years ago 
and one or more teams made the same proposal, that basically you add a third step requirement, that that is the closest thing to an objective test. You have the ball, you have your two feet down. Once you take a third step, the process is complete. Now, there will be situations where you know, you're on the sideline and you're falling out of bounds, you're not going to get a third step, and they'll have to address that. But in the middle of the field, because this is what they're concerned about. They're concerned about a guy catching a pass and middle of the field, untouched by a defender, stumbling to the ground, hits the ground, ball comes out, that's a live ball. Current rule, it's an incomplete pass. If you change the rule, if you take away going to the ground, if you change the time element to something other than clearly becoming a runner, whatever it is, that becomes a live ball. Well, how often is that going to happen? Where a guy catches the ball and in the process of going to the ground, he's so open that not only does he catch the pass without a defender anywhere near him, but in the process of going to the ground, he's not touched and the ball comes out. How often is that going to actually happen? And then he's not going to recover it. And you know what? It's on him at that point. If you're that clumsy that you catch the ball and you stumble to the ground like Kramer and the ball goes flying out, then that's on you. It's a fumble. That's one thing they're trying to avoid. Now, if you make a third step requirement, you can take that third step while you're going to the ground. You hit the ground while you're stumbling like Kramer and the ball comes out. It's a fumble. It's on you. So... I think there's going to be a late push to get this third step rule resurrected and used as the third element, because that's the problem. You have to have some replacement. You're going to take away going to the ground. Okay, fine. Well, when does going to the ground apply and when doesn't it apply? And when does this time element even matter? What are the rules at the goal lines? What are the rules at the boundaries? They have to have a third element. And... They need a good third element. An objective third element would be a third step. A subjective third element will be based on time. And that needs to be determined by the people on the field. And you can't replay review that because it's based on real time. When you are doing a frame-by-frame slow-motion replay, there's no way to determine time. And that's where Al Riveron has gotten into trouble. And that's where the process goes off the rails. So... Two elements, subject to replay review, having the ball in your possession, and having two feet down or another body part. Third element, what's it going to be? Objective, third step. I could get behind that. We proposed it back in 2015, and I'd forgotten about it. Or if there's a time element, it can't be subject to replay review. It's either one. And if we want to have these things subject to replay review, then you have to go with an objective third element. If you want a subjective, know it when you see it, the officials determine it on the field, then you come up with a subjective element that is understandable, that meshes with our expectations as football fans, and that prevents a situation where a guy gets hit in the midsection with the shoulder just as he catches the pass and the ball comes out. That should not be a catch. So it can't be instantaneous. There has to be something more than two hands on the ball and two feet on the ground. you got to have something more than that. Objective, third step, subjective, defer to the officials. It's got to be one or the other. And all this talk, I've seen headlines. NFL changes rule. Nothing's been changed yet. Just because the competition committee has a proposal doesn't mean jack squat. 24 owners have to get behind it. And sometimes they don't get behind the proposals made by the competition committee. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. There's no guarantee that they will. So it has to be a rule that can be sold. And there's a lot of discussion that happens once everyone gets to Orlando. But I think a lot of the conversation will occur this week as you prepare to go to Orlando. A lot of times when they get to the meetings, they already know what they want to do. It's like they don't want to screw around and have these big, long discussions and fights and arguments. There's too many people in the room. It's unwieldy. I think they like to have an idea which way the wind's blowing and what's going to fail and what's going to thrive. And that's part of the job of the competition committee. I don't think they should be proposing anything that they don't think 24 owners will support. But we see it every year. People just assume, oh, if the competition committee says it, it's golden. No, it's not. Which tells me that part of what the competition committee needs to do is sell these ideas. And if they don't think they can get 24 behind it, they need to come up with a different idea. We'll see what idea or ideas make it through next week. We will be in Orlando 
all week, or at least Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, PFT Live. Hopefully, we'll do some interviews, and we'll get some opinions of people involved in the process, some of the people on the competition committee, some of the others. Will they get this done? Will they not get this done? Last year was fairly uneventful. It was all about the Raiders getting approval to go to Las Vegas. This year, maybe there'll be some some media rule changes that actually make it to the floor and that we'll have some some real discussion about. And ultimately, it's about making it better. We all want the game to be better. We want fans to not be frustrated. I don't like being frustrated. I don't like rules that defy what I think football is. And oh, by the way, I'm going to make a big push to get rid of that stupid-ass fumble out of the end zone rule where the ball automatically goes to the defense and they get it to 20, even if they never touch it. Watch, that'll start happening. They're going to revise the catch rule. And some guy's going to be wide open at the 10, untouched. He's going to stumble to the ground at the 5. The ball's going to bounce into the end zone and go out of bounds, and the other team's going to get it on the 20. That would be fitting. And it'll happen in a Super Bowl. See, here's the thing. The NFL has rules that will create embarrassment if they are applied in a specific way. And the NFL never does anything about it until they're sufficiently embarrassed. And usually it requires a very high-profile game, conference championship, playoff game, Super Bowl, whatever. The goal should be to spot these nagging, potentially embarrassing rules and get them off the books, get them fixed and rectified before it turns into the kind of embarrassment can that can really piss a lot of people off and get them to say, I'm done watching football, even though not many of them ever mean it. If you watch football this fall, you will see our guest for today. If you watched college football over the past few years, you will have seen him many times playing cornerback for the Louisville Cardinals. Here is my discussion from earlier this afternoon with Cardinals cornerback and NFL draft prospect Jair Alexander. Welcome back. And if you have some time to kill later today, I suggest you go to YouTube and type in the name Jair Alexander and watch some of his highlights at Louisville. And you will quickly ask yourself the question I quickly asked myself. Why in the world do they keep throwing the football in his direction? Here he is, Jair Alexander. Why do they keep throwing the football in your direction? Oh, man. You know, quite quite frankly, I, I think they uh, I think the quarterbacks just enjoy uh, long talks with their uh, offensive coordinator. That, that must be what it is. Well, I'm sure you sparked many of them. I mean, my goodness, what an array of interceptions and athletic plays, great ball skills, great speed at Louisville, and also a couple of interceptions of Deshaun Watson. When you see what he's done at the next level, how much confidence does that give you, given that you were able to pick him off multiple times at Louisville? Oh, it just gives me a ton of confidence, uh, you know, playing playing on a big stage like that against a, against a really good elite quarterback. Um, being able to do what I did uh, against Clemson that, that year, uh, you know, it just really uh, boosts my confidence up for the year after and, uh, you know, just really went out there and dominated. How anxious are you to get this process over with? You still got about five more weeks before you find out where you're going to play at the next level. Uh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just really, uh, I'm really just taking it all in. You know, it's all new for me, but man, it's, it's been, it's been some long, long days. Uh, <laughs> but I tell you, you know, it's all new for me and, and you know, I, I'm enjoying the process. How hard was it for you to leave Louisville and and give up some remaining eligibility? Uh well, uh, you know it, it was it was pretty challenging. Um, I knew that uh, well, I'm, I'm graduating coming up in May, so I I have my degree in three years. Um, so you know I I, uh, I I was able to graduate early and and play as uh, long as I could there, and, and uh, you know it was all, it was a great time. You know that to me, Jair, is almost as impressive as your highlight reel, and it may be more impressive. Very rarely does a guy stay in school while he's getting ready for the draft. How have you balanced draft prep with actually continuing to take classes? Well, you know, uh, coming into college, I set a goal. I set a goal to graduate in three years, um, and, and, you know, that that's my goal. And when I set goals, I like to achieve them, and, and I just never never lost sight of that. You know, um, you know, with the, with the combine training and everything that's been happening, uh, it just – it's a little more challenging, um, but, you know, like I said, I, n- I never forgot the main goal. Well, and that's an admirable goal, and it's good that you're doing it. Now, one of the things you had to do along the way was make the tough decision not to play in the bowl game this past year once you decided that you were going to go to the NFL. That's become a trend recently. I support it. Guys have to protect themselves. The hay's in the barn. The NFL's calling. you got to be healthy when the time comes to go to the draft. How difficult was the decision to not participate in that bowl game to cap your career at Louisville? Oh, well, it was really difficult. You know, um, it, it was a tough decision. 
I, I made sure that uh, it was. Uh, I brought it to my teammates' awareness of what I was doing, and and you know got got feedback from them just to make sure that you know they didn't think they didn't think uh, nothing of it. Um, and you know they gave me the green light to go. Um, they gave me the green light. Um, you know, and and they said they they had respect for me and they appreciated everything. So you know, I mean, it was it was challenging, but with the with the support of my teammates and family and friends, um, it, I made the decision. And Jair, I've been doing this long enough to know that if I ask a guy, where do you want to play in the NFL? No one's ever going to say where they want to play because you have no control over the process whatsoever. Now, at the college level, you initially were going to go to South Carolina. Then you go to Louisville. You get to ultimately pick your school. Don't you kind of wish at some level you could pick where you're going to play at the next level of football? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, everybody would want to wish that, you know, uh, you know, growing up, I was I was a fan of many teams like uh, Steelers, uh, Panthers, um, the Eagles. You know, I, I was a fan of many teams like that. Uh, but shoot, I, I'd be happy wherever I go. But but those are the teams right there. What players did you look up to? Who did you want to be when you were little? Oh, uh, man, I, I I loved the Honey Badgers. Uh, you know, I I loved his style of play. I loved the way he played and how he left everything on the field. Uh, how he was just a leader and, and, and a savage out there. And I, and I really admired that and really wanted to mold my game after him. Well, you know, there's a similarity, too, also as it relates to size, and that's going to be one of the knocks. The, the receivers in the NFL tend to be bigger. You're 5'11". H- how do you react when you, you hear people point out, well, you know, size may be something that holds back Jair Alexander in the NFL? Well, you know, I, I just tell them to turn on the tape. You know, I played against really good receivers that were bigger and, uh, you know, none faster, but, you know, I played against bigger receivers and, and just see how I matched up against them. And, you know, that, that, that'll say, that'll say it all. Um, you know, I, I also have to say that, you know, you know, size doesn't matter, especially when you have DB, you know, you, I may look shorter than a receiver, but in my mind, I'm bigger than him. And, uh, you know, he, he can't get by me. So that's the mentality that I have at corner. I've heard you say you like to talk a little trash. Do you actually do research into the background of the receiver so you can make the the trash talk a little more personalized? Uh, sometimes it just depends on uh, what, what kind of receiver I'm facing. If I if I'm facing a guy who who likes to talk back, uh, then I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna dig I'm gonna dig a little deeper. You know, if I'm facing a receiver that that doesn't like to say much, you know, I'm, I'm just gonna hit him with the hit him with the bare minimum, getting his head a little bit. That was the old John Randall approach. He'd know the names of wives, girlfriends, mothers, yeah. <laughs> friends, everybody, and he'd let them hear it all game long. Now, one of these days you may be lining up against Lamar Jackson unless you guys end up on the same team. Is that something you'd look forward to or is that something you'd be dreading? Uh, no, no, that's definitely something I look forward to, you know, being able to practice against him and, and his powerful arm and every day in practice was, was, was good. It was a good experience, you know, competing against some of, competing against the best. And, uh, you know, when, when we get to that next level, it's going to be the same thing, whether we're on the same team or not. We're just going to be competing. There was some crazy talk a few weeks ago that he should move to receiver. What, how did you react when you heard that? <laughs> Man, I was like, what? What in the world? Like, are, they, are, are these people not watching, not watching film? Are they not watching the tape? You know, have they not seen that he's gotten better each year he's been in college? You know, I mean, once, once people, you know, I, I don't think people watch enough film. You know, to say that, to make a statement like that, um, you know, and, and that's my spiel. And I think he's he's a good quarterback. I think he's a really good quarterback. Um, he got potential to be great. So that's my take on that. Now, on one of your interceptions of Deshaun Watson, Jair, you looked like the intended receiver, like you were running the route. And it, it I, I, I can't help but wonder, would Jay Alexander like to play a little receiver in the NFL? Man, I I wouldn't mind playing receiver. You know, I wouldn't mind getting a wildcat package. You know, you know, something. I just want the ball a little bit. <laughs> you know, you get, you, uh, I, I've been wait, told wait. I've been told I had the receiver effect uh, out there on defense. You know, I, uh, it, from from what I can see, it looks like the quarterback thinks I play offense. So. Well, and, and, and I'm telling you, multiple times, it's like, hey, this is the guy he intended to throw to. That's the only explanation for why he actually let the ball go. In the Wildcat package, we talking a little a little uh, throwing ability from Jair Alexander? Dude, I mean, you know, if you want a nice little little 20-yard dump off, you know, that might be me. That might be my game right there. I don't know about the Hail Mary type throw. Now. I can't make that one. And you got to be careful I'm not to throw to a great – 
you can't throw to a great corner because then you got to go have that conversation on the sideline with the offensive coordinator. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you, we're a few weeks removed from the scouting combine, and uh, you know it's a grind, and and it, it it dehumanizes a lot of the players. What what was the part of that 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 you just didn't like? Oh uh, well, you know, uh, it, it was it was long it was long days. It was it was really long days. Um, you know, coming in to the combine, you know, prior to like a few weeks before, I'm like, okay, so we get there. Uh, and we just run and do our 40s and backpedal drills, and that's it. But, you know, it's, it's more to it. You know, it's longer days. It's, it's going to challenge you uh, mentally, uh, maybe even physically. Um, you know, so so those are the things that, that you face at the combine that, you know, many people don't don't really understand. Um, you know, I'm talking about earlier, 6 in the morning, get bed, get uh, go to bed at around 11 p.m. So you just got to was... be used to the, to the long days. I almost feel like they, they put you through that just to see how you react, to see if they can get a rise out of you, see if they can get you to snap. Did you ever feel like part of it was a test like that? Uh, definitely, definitely. Uh, from from the moment I got there, I kind of figured that with, with all the, the different testing, uh, psychological testing we took, <laughs> I felt like uh, I felt like I was in, I was in school uh, all over again, you know, full time. <laughs> Well, it didn't affect your performance. Four three eight in the forty. Will you rest on that? Or are you going to try to improve on it at your pro day workout later this month? Oh uh, no, no, no! I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to, re- I'm going to retire to forty for now. Uh, <laughs> just, just focus on, just focus on the drill. G- give me one aspect of your game that that you believe you need to improve upon when it's time to play in the NFL. Um, one aspect I say, uh, you know, probably just. Maybe recognizing the whole formation sometimes. You know, sometimes I can get caught up in on one side of the field. Um, you know, and, and you know, part of understanding the 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 formations and, and route concepts is understanding the whole formation. So that's probably something I, I'm I got to work on. Uh, and uh, you know, that's been coming along pretty good now. Well, it's easy to get caught up in one side of the field, Jair, when you're in position to lock down one side of the field. Maybe they'll learn at the next level not to throw it your way. We're excited to see what happens when you get there. All the best in your studies, and congratulations on your success. We look forward to seeing where you land on April 26th. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. All right, thanks to Jair Alexander for his time, and we wish him all the best. Great kid, great attitude, and... A guy who will have some doubters because of his size. But go watch his highlights. My goodness. Great ball skills. I would make him a receiver. I'd use him on offense. Absolutely. I think the guy's got the skills necessary to be a very impactful player on the offensive side of the ball. But defensively, he could be a lot more value to a team. And we don't see many. We hear guys talk about it, but it's hard. It's hard enough to play one side of the ball. It's even harder to be up to speed on the offensive side of the ball. You can't just plug in for one play. you got to have a bunch of different plays that you can do. Otherwise, it's going to be obvious when you step foot on the field what the play is going to be. You have to have a sufficient menu of plays if you're going to play some offense as a defensive back. All right, speaking of defensive backs, Richard Sherman, I was very critical of the contract he negotiated for himself, and I kept expecting him to engage He probably resisted it because he probably thought, you know what? I don't want to fight this little pissant Florio, which usually is the best approach. Not that I'm going to fight back. Look, I like Richard Sherman. I respect Richard Sherman. He's a great player. I don't think he should have negotiated his own contract. I think any player should have a good agent. Now, good agent better than no agent. No agent may be better than bad agent. And there are bad agents out there, but there are devices for dealing with bad agents. The NFL Players Association has full jurisdiction over the agents. And if an agent does a bad deal, the agent can be disciplined, can be counseled, can have action taken against him by the NFL Players Association. But if you represent yourself, chances are you are going to do a bad deal because you don't understand how to properly negotiate it because there's an art to it, there's a science to it, there are nuances to it. And it's more than just taking 12 hours to study other contracts. It's more than that. I've been around this business for 17 years, and I've learned a lot by analyzing 
contracts as to what I would want if I were negotiating a contract. And a lot of the stuff that Richard Sherman has in his contract is stuff I would just not want. I have his comments in front of me, and I'm not going to read them. I assume you can listen to what he had to say at the 49ers website. The one point where he mentions me is when he says, where is it? There are agents out there that are doing $30 million fully guaranteed deals that look like $50 million deals. When the guy gets cut after two weeks or after a year and the guy only makes $5 million of a $50 million contract, nobody sits there and bashes the agent. You don't hear Florio writing any articles about it. The kid from Philly, Nigel Bradham or something, took one year $6 million deal, but to everybody else it's a $40 million deal. There's nobody to bash it because nobody's paying attention to most of these agents and their deals. All right, that's what he had to say. And I'll have some more from what he had to say later. But I, I, here's, here's what I, I have to say. And I have five points about his contract. First of all, at one point, Richard Sherman characterized today his contract as having $5 million guaranteed at signing. And it definitely does not. We need to be clear on that. It's $3 million guaranteed at signing. The other $2 million hinges on him passing his preseason training camp physical. And if he fails it for any reason, he doesn't get the $2 million. Now, it's possible there's a wink and a nod that they will pass him on the physical. But if that's the case, why not just give him the $2 million now? Just give him the $5 million signing bonus. That clause is in there for a reason. And if anything happens during off-season program, he's going to show up for the off-season program, any work that he does, any setback that he has, any fluke that happens when he's on his own time, if he doesn't pass the physical when he shows up for training camp, late July, early August, he does not get the $2 million. That money is not guaranteed. The only guarantee is $3 million. His incentives are significant. A million dollars tied to the Pro Bowl and two million dollars to the All-Pro team or vice versa. He's got to have a significant year to make up the difference between his base value and the high end for what he's due to make this year. The playing time incentive of 90%, that is very high. Now, he's done it in the past. But who's to say he's going to be able to do it again in the year that he's coming off of an Achilles tendon surgery? Surgery on both tendons. It's a big commitment to make, and I understand he's betting on himself, and I love the confidence, but that's a lot to tie up in your ability to perform. The biggest issue, and this is the third point, the guaranteed money that triggers for next year. He's got $16 million in guaranteed money that hinges on him making it to the Pro Bowl. And the problem is this. There's a loophole that I'm not sure he's aware of. Because the way he described the contract elsewhere, he talks about guaranteed money if he makes it to the Pro Bowl. The guaranteed money doesn't kick in until March of next year. And it's guaranteed for injury until April 1, which is an extended period of time where the 49ers could say, for example, all right, Richard made it to the Pro Bowl. He gets an injury guarantee that kicks in in March. But we have until April 1 before it's fully guaranteed. We can make a move. We can sign someone else cheaper. We can, based upon our draft positioning, feel confident we're going to be able to find someone better. We can trade for somebody. We can take that contract and rip it up before April 1, assuming he's healthy as of the middle of March when they have that window to make a decision. But the bigger problem is this. Let's say he makes it to the Pro Bowl. And let's say that during the postseason, he tears his Achilles again. The injury guarantee isn't vested then. The injury guarantee doesn't kick in until March. So the 49ers can do to him exactly what the Seahawks did. Just tear up the contract and move on. The protection that he earns by making it to the Pro Bowl does not vest until March. Now, a bad agent may have missed that. I guarantee you, a good agent is going to say, whoa, wait a minute now, Parag Marate, John Lynch, what are you trying to pull here? You want my guy to trigger this injury guarantee based upon his regular season play, and then if he makes it to the playoffs, which I'm sure you guys hope will happen, he's got no protection for the postseason? Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. The injury guarantee kicks in the moment he satisfies the trigger, not in March. 
Oh, gee, thanks for an injury guarantee that kicks in when nothing's happening. There's no risk then. The injury guarantee is meaningless. Do you understand how this works? He's got an injury guarantee for two and a half weeks when there's nothing happening. There's no football to be played. There's no practice to go to. So the injury guarantee gets triggered in March, middle of March. The full guarantee kicks in April 1. The injury guarantee means nothing. And I guarantee you a good agent would have spotted that and said, you're not going to pull that. You may be able to pull that with someone else. You may be able to pull that on a player who doesn't represent or who does represent himself. You're not pulling that on me. And I don't expect Richard to understand that nuance because I don't expect him to understand the ins and outs of representing an NFL player because I don't expect him to represent himself because he shouldn't represent himself. As to Nigel Bradham, I mean, Nigel Bradham has $14 million guaranteed at signing, including injury guarantee. He's got $6 million fully guaranteed this year. He can be cut. He can be cut before the fifth day of the 2019 league year. And he walks away with one year and $6 million. That can happen. But you know what? If he's cut, he's cut early, and he goes back to the market. Richard Sherman can be cut. Richard Sherman can end up saddled with a deal that doesn't reflect his value. If he comes out and plays the way he believes he's going to this year, if he becomes a superstar again, if he becomes an all-pro again, he shouldn't have wanted a guarantee for 2019 and 2020. He should have wanted a void. He should have wanted a one-year deal. He should have wanted a chance to go back to the market. Well, what if I want to stay with the 49ers? Okay, re-sign with the 49ers on the open market. Use the open market. Use the offers you get from other teams to drive up what the 49ers will pay. It's that simple. It's so obvious. And I know there are going to be people who either choose not to understand or can't understand it. But understand this. It's always better for a player who is coming off of an injury to sign a contract that puts him back on the market next year if he plays at a high level. You want to get back to the market. Look at Nick Foles. Now, I don't know if Nick Foles had an option to only do a one-year deal. Nick Foles should have been back to the market this year. His agent, David Dunn, did a bad job in ensuring that his client would get back to the market. Chase Daniel, his contract with the Bears allows him to buy his way out for $5 million next year. If Nick Foles had a clause like that, I guarantee you he would have bought his way out and he would have been signed by one of these other teams in free agency, making far more than the $7 million he's due to make this year. Now, I call BS all the time. When someone does a deal and they leak it to one of the information robots as being worth $50 million guaranteed, well, no, it's not. It's not worth that much. It's worth less. I point that out all the time. Now, I don't call the agents out by name. But that's not necessarily a bad deal. That's just bullshit. And there's a significant amount of bullshit as it relates to how these deals get publicized. And sometimes there's bullshit as to how these deals get posted on the NFLPA's internal website to make the deals look better than they are. That happens too. It happens. But the overriding message is every player needs a good agent. And the problem with players representing themselves, and here's why this is an issue. Peter King made the comment last week in one of his columns that it's weird that people are obsessed with Richard Sherman's contract. I don't care about it if it's an isolated event. But Sherman and Russell Okung are waving this flag and leading this charge to get players to turn against agents and represent themselves. And that is insanity. Here's what happens. If a bunch of players decide to start representing themselves, Bad contracts done by prominent players like Richard Sherman are going to get crammed down the throats or up the asses of players who are representing themselves. Well, Richard, Sher if it's good enough for Richard Sherman, it's good enough for you. What's the player going to say who doesn't have an agent? Well, this is the same structure we used for Tom Brady. Tom Brady's signed contracts like this every year. Young quarterback who's eligible for a new contract. Are you saying you're better than Tom Brady? Huh? Are you? Huh? Huh? The owners will swoop in. They have skilled negotiators. They have shrewd business people. 
They will swoop in. They will take advantage of the players. And what will happen is every team will eventually have a full complement of all the players it wants for a hell of a lot less than what the salary cap would dictate. And what happens? Where does the difference go between the maximum spending limit and the minimum spending requirement, which is about an 11% gap? Think about that. The salary cap this year, what is it? 178? Is that what it ended up being? Let me do some math here. 178 times 0.11. That's nearly $20 million per year of raw profit that gets taken from the players and crammed into the coffers of the owners. If you have players representing themselves on a widespread basis, you will have owners who happily take advantage of the players who don't know how to represent themselves and they will eventually gravitate toward the spending floor. That will happen. And some players will get screwed worse than others. The smart players will at least find a way to get theirs. But you will see over time the total payouts get lower and lower and lower. And the union needs to take that seriously. The players who lead the union and Okung and Sherman are on that executive committee for crying out loud. So what happens is this. Here's how it's been explained to me. Number one, they hate to write the checks. They hate to write the checks. They need to quit worrying about the checks they write to their agents and worry about what's in the checks they get. Secondly, some of these guys think they're smarter than they are. They think they can do it. You need to know the limits of your own intellectual abilities. The smartest people know what they don't know. The people masquerading as smart people think they know everything. I'll let you guys decide which players fall into that category. But this isn't just Richard Sherman did a shitty deal. This is Richard Sherman and Russell Okung want players to represent themselves, necessarily leading to a rash of shitty deals, necessarily leading to 20 million by today's standards times 32 $626 million of money that otherwise would go to players being crammed into the pockets of owners because the owners are consistently and repeatedly screwing the players and the players are doing it with a smile on their face and a song in their hearts and defiance in their voices if anyone calls them out for representing themselves. See, that's what makes this so beautiful for the 49ers. They know that Richard Sherman is never going to complain about his contract. Not once. He's not going to be able to. He's not going to wake up one day and say, oh, you know what? Oh, God. Florio's right. I shouldn't have agreed to that term that vests my guarantee in March. Here I am, division round of the playoffs, getting ready to play the Seahawks. I want to go all out, and I made it to the Pro Bowl. My injury guarantee doesn't kick in until March. Crap, I'm going to be screwed here. He's never going to admit that. Now, there may be other things that happen within the confines of the relationship that are more likely to piss him off because he may divert his frustration about his contract to other things. So the 49ers need to worry about that. They need to worry about the broader context of the relationship. But the bottom line is this. The owners are always going to have skilled negotiators who are negotiating these deals on their behalf. You don't see the owners negotiating the deals on their their own. They're going to hire skilled people to negotiate these deals. The players need to do the same. And if they don't, they are voluntarily handing millions of dollars over to the owners. And if they want to do it, fine, do it. I don't know why I care. I'm caring about the players who don't realize that a handful are trying to push them down a path that's going to screw all of them. But it's hard enough for the players to get what they deserve playing this game that puts their bodies and minds at risk. The last thing they need to do is add to their own problems put their own earnings at further risk by worrying about that check that they have to write to their agent. So hopefully this all blows over for the sake of everyone, but players need to understand and the union needs to understand where this can go. I think the union's probably choosing to tiptoe on eggshells because Richard's got a big personality and he's on the executive committee. So if union leadership starts pushing back, then, hey, the next thing you know, Richard Sherman's going to be focused on getting you out. 
So it's not a good situation for anyone. And uh, hopefully Richard Sherman will see the light and hopefully the players will realize they should not be representing themselves. And hopefully the union will put in place some sort of a mechanism for addressing situations where bad agents do bad deals. I have no problem with that. If there are bad agents, and there are, they should be run out of the business. All right, let's answer some questions. I mean, but look, I've I've been doing this for 17 years. And now that my son is at the age where he's as old as some of these guys, in fact, Jair Alexander is younger than my son. It's just weird to see that my, my son's peer group are these guys playing in the NFL. And as my son's gotten older, and I can, I, it's just, it's part of your natural evolution as a parent. You feel protective of your son. He's in that age group, and, and you have those same feelings of others in that age. It's like you don't want to see him get screwed. And we know more now about what the players are risking physically and mentally, short term and long term. They need to get every last dollar they can. And if you have a good agent, yes, the agent's going to earn money, but the agent's going to get you even more money. You're going to get more money with the help of an agent than you're ever going to get on your own. And players need to understand that. Because if they all represent themselves, they're going to get screwed. And I hope it doesn't come to that. Okay, that's it. That's really it now. I'll answer some of these questions. At in absentia 83, John Gruden is determined to make the Raiders from 1998. Didn't they go 5-11? and 11? I, 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 I don't know that that's the case. John Gruden's finding players that he thinks are going to be able to run the offense the way he wants it to be run. I, I don't. I, I I don't know. At 123 Apple 11, a very important football question. What was your favorite vacation ever? Probably one of the times, there was a stretch there before we bought the house that we live in now, which is very conducive to entertaining family members. We would go to the beach every year. My wife and I would rent a beach house and we'd all go. And there was a time, and I can't remember which one it was. I think it was in South Carolina. I think it was Isle of Palm. We had a great house there. We went to Charleston every other night. And there were a couple, there was one time that that uh, that week where the whole convergence of being with family and, you know, everything's great and it's a nice day and, you know, listen to some music. I can't remember what I was listening to, but you just have that feeling where it's almost like a religious experience. You know what I mean? That That was probably the best one. And I can't even remember when it was. I think it was 2013, maybe. So we're, we're blessed now that we have a house that's very good. We got a pool and we have family here a lot. And I just prefer staying here. If I have a week off from radio, TV, I just want to stay here. I just want to hang out by the pool, hang out in the yard, go down to the barn, do whatever, grill some food. I, I don't need to go rent a house. I'm happy with the one we have. But back before we moved in, that was our big thing, our annual beach trip somewhere. And I don't know, maybe we'll do it again this year. At NFL Leeds, would you ever consider an audiobook for quarterback of the future? No. Dear, uh, Dr. not dear, Dr. Thomas Schaff would soon need an outsized contract in L.A. to offset the tax differential between Florida and California. Well, that's a factor. 13.3% in California versus 0.0% in Florida. Plus, apparently, you can no longer write off your state income taxes under the new tax plan. So, yeah, that's definitely a factor. And that's part of what an agent needs to advise a player on. When I was 21, 22, hell, I didn't even know how income tax withholding worked. And I, I thought, look, there are a lot of people who think it's good to get a tax refund. One of the first lessons I learned, 20, 21 years old, if you get a tax refund, you've gotten screwed because you've given the government your money at no interest. And they've had it and they've kept it and they've used it for months. You should, as of April 15 of every year, get no refund. You should aspire to get no refund. People think a refund is good. A refund is bad. That means you've been loaning your money to the government. But those are the little things that you learn, and you have people teach them to you. And that's why you need an agent to help you navigate this reality of state income tax. A lot of players may not even have a concept of income tax. They've never had a job. They've never gotten a check before. What's this? What's this FISA? What's FICA? What's this? What's that? What's this state income tax? What's... Boy, that's a lot of money going to the state of California. Wow. It's And that's human nature. When you're 21, 22, and you're focused on getting yourself in a position where you can be a great football player, you're not going to know those things. At Draymond Blame, with the Jets up to third, what's your guess on what Elway does at pick five? It depends on who's there. 
I mean, they're going to get a great player. If Saquon Barkley's there, would they take him? Maybe they would. If Josh Allen's there, would he take him? Case Keenum only did a two-year deal. He could still take a quarterback. He could take Quentin Nelson. He can go in a lot of different directions at number five. At Sergio D, has there ever been consideration to amend the salary cap based on the state tax laws of each team? It's patently unfair that teams in high state income areas have the same cap as states with low or no state income tax. The thing is, I I rarely sense that it's a problem for players. I rarely do. It should be. It should be a a very big consideration. But I I never, you know, I I view it's, it's characterized as a benefit. Well, he went to a Florida team and hey... You know, it's a benefit. No state income tax. Um, Maybe the agents, the good agents and the bad agents, need to be pointing that out more aggressively to their players. But the bottom line is this. Once the Florida team has its starting lineup in place, what are you going to do? You're going to go to the place where you can play. And a lot of these players just want to play. The money is secondary to them. They just want to be able to play. Because their thinking is, if I go and I play and I play well, the money's going to take care of itself. At Sham God, do you believe the Steelers could draft a running back in the first round and rescind the offer to Le'Veon Bell? Oh, they could. They definitely could. I thought last year, if James Conner, a third-round pick, a local favorite, his jersey was one of the top rookie jersey sellers after he was drafted. Inspiring story, overcame cancer. If he had been dominant in training camp in the preseason, they could have yanked the franchise tender off of Le'Veon Bell. And you yank that franchise tender in late August, early September, good luck finding that same amount on the open market. At Andrew Ye, why do players' contracts include arbitrary deadlines like the third or fifth day of the league year? Why not just use the first day of the league year? Is it just to give teams a chance to explore free agency before making decisions? Are there other benefits? And I I think that's what it is. You want an early deadline And the thinking is, third day of the league year, you have a little bit of flexibility if you're the team, but the player still hits the market while money is still out there. And I'd go third day before fifth day. Those two days can go a long way toward the faucet being shut off. Now, the best deadline to get is the first or second day of the waiver period. If you have guarantees that vest in the second or third day of the waiver period and they cut you then, you've got a full month to get your next gig lined up now, now there's a there's a thought among agents that if you have a guarantee or a payment that vests tied into the early stages of the waiver period right after the super bowl that it's a given that they're not going to cut you that that's just a way to deal with the funding mechanism the funding requirement and that they only have the option to cut you if the deadlines are tied to the league year a month and a half later but between the two I would always want first or second day of the waiver period in there because then I get cut before free agency starts so I can go visit teams, I can make a good decision, and I can be in position to get paid while the money is flowing and get a head start on the open market. That's Stephen Wise, 89. I got the flu two weeks ago and was prescribed Tamiflu two days after first symptoms. Did not receive the benefit I hoped for after hearing of your remarkable SNF recovery this past fall. How long before you were completely recovered? Here's what happened, Stephen. It wasn't the Tamiflu. It was the prednisone. Doctor prescribed prednisone, and that allowed me to dramatically rally. Because what happened was I took prednisone Friday Saturday, Sunday. I did not take it Monday. By the time I got home Monday night, I was getting the the relapse. So it's not the Tamiflu, it's the prednisone. That's your medical portion of today's PFTPM podcast. At Markman76, would you rather have Case Keenum or the field of rookie quarterbacks? Well, it depends upon what my motivation is. If I'm trying to win now, give me Keenum because I know he can play. If I'm trying to build something over the long haul, I'd take the field of rookie quarterbacks. But eventually, i got to pick one of them, and I don't know which one's going to be great. With Keenum, I see a guy who has skills that weren't just a fluke last year. Great lateral movement behind the line of scrimmage, ability to reset repeatedly, keep his eyes down the field, avoid the pass rush, find the open man. I don't think it was a fluke. I think he's going to be very good this year. And if I had a team that was trying to win this year, I'd want to keep him. And apples to apples, Vikings are paying $10 million more per year for Kirk Cousins. Is Kirk Cousins $10 million a year more 
better than uh, than Case Keenum. A couple more questions, then we'll wrap this up. I got a birthday party to go to. My my nephew is turning 11, and uh, it's a surprise, but this won't be posted by the time the party starts. We're going bowling, and I'm not very good at bowling. And uh, it's going to be a long couple of hours. And I'm probably going to rip my fingers up with blisters, so I'm going to have a hard time, you know. The blisters, the, the, the primary enemy of the blogger. But uh, i got to wrap this up and get to the party. All right, what else do we have? Uh, at username taken, why are rosters limited to 53? Wouldn't teams like more depth? And wouldn't the players' union like more employment? Yeah, it's 53 because the owners don't want to pay anyone else. That's why. That's, they want to limit the number of people they have to pay. And if they ever would expand the regular season, and, and there's there's some momentum. I need to remember to, I, I was going to write something about this. There's a little momentum floating around for an idea that at one point gathered some steam. The idea of an 18-game regular season and the coaches have to pick which 16 games players will play in. There's that's still floating around out there. Don't be shocked if that gets resurrected. I need to write something about that as we get closer to the league meetings, because maybe that thing pops up out of nowhere. I need to write something about that tonight. I'll probably remember. Maybe I will. At Markman 76, should the Packers draft offense or defense first round and why? I, I, I always go best available player, and they know their needs better than anyone else. It's because it's, you got 11 positions on offense and 11 on defense. So the best available player at your position of the most pressing need, and are you looking to develop someone? Are you looking for someone who can play now? I think the Packers are good enough that they have an urgency to get somebody who can make an impact now. At Recliner QB, work is kicking my ass lately. What is a good relaxing activity besides PFT? I don't know. Does it relax you? I I don't know. Reading? Playing video games? Fish tank? I don't know. At Stephen Wise 89, another day, another school shooting. What steps do you think should be taken to better protect our school campuses? Well, look, I... I, I, I don't want to get into political things here. And the problem is an effort to secure schools instantly becomes political because one side bristles at anything that suggests restricting access to guns by private citizens. And then the other side doesn't want any suggestion of uh, an armed police presence on campus. It's, it's a multidisciplinary approach and it's nothing that is ever going to be solved easily. And, and I'll said what, what I, I'll say what I said a month ago when the Parkland tragedy happened. I just pray there's someone out there who eventually can lead us through this morass. It, 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 we need a solution, and it's not going to be an easy solution, and it's too easy to just give up and say, we just have to accept the risk of being killed in a mass shooting as one of the risks that we carry around with us as American citizens. A tree could fall on us, lightning could strike us, car accident could happen, plane crash could happen, and you could get shot by a madman who had easy access to a high-powered semi-automatic assault rifle. And what can you do? I don't know. But hopefully it'll change. I hope it changes. And I hope I hope we, we make all areas where we gather, schools, churches, malls, anywhere and everywhere where people gather, I hope we make it, we, we make them safer. And there are ways to do it while respecting everyone's rights. The problem is that, that anytime any restrictions are discussed, people assume that it's the first step toward the systematic removal of every gun that every person in the country owns. And I, I just, I don't know why people are, are that unrealistic in their fear of the government that they think that any reasonable step to protect people is going to result in, you know, people showing up, knocking on your door and searching your house and taking all your all your guns. I, I don't I don't understand that logic, but apparently it's out there because millions of people feel that way. At the Impact 99, if you were on Seinfeld, what would your character have been like? Interesting question. Deep, deep question. Maybe an amalgamation of all of them. I'd hate to think that I'm as selfish as all four of the main characters were. I can be awkward and stupid like Kramer, and do dumb things and say dumb things. I don't know. I hate to compare myself to Costanza. He was the most amoral. Not immoral, but amoral. 
He just had no moral compass whatsoever. And yet he was charming and likable. Kenny Banya. I don't know. I got to think that one through. Is there really a desirable character? Morty Seinfeld. That's who I'd want to be. I just have to borrow Shefty's glasses. Oh, let's answer. I should probably just end it on that. I should go out on a high note like George. That's it for me. Let's see what else we have. At B. Flofo Show, will Fox's ratings be substantially higher for Thursday Night Football this year merely due to three-letter network for all 16 games? It won't be all 16. Now, Fox is going to get the bump that CBS and NBC got for the 10 or 11 games that will be broadcast on Fox. And they're trying to get Peyton Manning, which I guess, I don't know. Are people going to tune in? Okay, hey, who's on tonight? Uh, it's the Cardinals and the uh, and the Giants. Huh, I'm really not all that interested. Well, Peyton Manning's calling the game. Oh, well, now I'm interested. I, I don't know how much sizzle that's really going to deliver. I think for the people who already tune in, it improves the experience. I just don't know that anyone's going to tune in to a game they're not interested in to hear Peyton Manning break it all down. But we should find out soon whether or not Fox is going to get Peyton Manning. And uh, bottom line is Fox will have significant ratings every Thursday night that it has NFL games. Fox will win the ratings night those nights. And uh, they better because they're paying a significant premium for the games. The Natural asks, I've noticed you make a point of often thanking guests for some of your time. Curious where that came from. I don't know. It came from my mouth. Thanks for some of your time. I'm not taking all of their time. They have time. They give me some. Thank you for some of your time. It's really not that complicated. At Go Learn, will the new catch rules be more or less controversial than last year? God, I hope they're less controversial. But that's the danger. If you overhaul the rules, you'll get unintended consequences. They better be ready for the unintended consequences. So we'll see. At Jay Rystad, what's up with the Alliance of American Football? Well, we have an entry, another entry in this spring football derby. XFL is coming in two years. This Alliance of American Football is coming next year. I keep waiting for something to attract our attention as American football fans. I think that we have our fill between the NFL, college football, and our local high school teams that we either do or don't care about. I just don't think people care, people care about spring football. It's going to take something creative and fresh and new to resonate in the spring. Because I just think we're not wired to care about spring football. So the XFL created a lot more buzz because the XFL is a brand that still has some fascination for people. But we haven't heard anything about the XFL. Since the Vince McMahon press conference, it's disappeared. You need to do better than that to, to keep this thing out there and churning. And we need some developments and we need some news. And maybe the fact that the son of the guy, Dick Ebersol, who founded the XFL with Vince McMahon, the fact that they're on the scene now with a league that starts next year, that may spur the XFL to get this thing rolling. A couple more questions. Saul Weezy asks if the Rams have Sue, is their defense better than the Eagles? I'd say yes. I, I, I was joking around yesterday about what the, the challenge would be like for an offense that has to deal with Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald. It, it, it's, what, what, what really do you do? I joked about putting a couple of offensive linemen in fullback numbers in the A-gap and make it like a bowling pin, a reverse bowling pin, where the bowling balls are hitting you from the back row forward. You, you got to do something to contain those two guys. That'll be the best defense in the NFL with Wade Phillips also. Best defense in the NFL if they manage to get Sue. All right. Uh, yeah, a lot of thoughtful questions here. I'm just running out of time. Let me let me finish with this one. JTrain33, update on Aaron Rodgers' contract now that the dust has settled, or is he still waiting for Matt Ryan to sign his new deal first? I don't think Rodgers is waiting for Matt Ryan. I think Rodgers is up now. We have the Cousins deal. We have the Breeze deal. I think Rodgers gets to $30 million a year. The question is, how much of it is guaranteed at signing? He still has two years left on his contract. I don't think the Packers are going to rip that up and say, here's a three-year fully guaranteed contract worth $90 million total. I don't think that happens because that just pushes his contract out one more year than what it currently is. Will they give him a five-year fully guaranteed deal? I don't know. 
you got to deal with the two years that are remaining on Aaron Rodgers' contract. And as a practical matter, he's four years away from hitting the open market. See, he's going to want to get paid like he was on the open market, like Cousins and Breeze, while being two years away from the franchise tag, which necessarily means he's four years away from the open market. That's the challenge that the Packers are facing. And remember this, new money average versus total value. I think there's a chance that at the end of the day, Rodgers is going to sign a contract that makes him the highest paid player in NFL history in terms of new money. But when we evaluate the deal at signing, it's not going to be worth $28 million a year. Keep an eye on that, and we'll see when the Packers manage to get this deal done. We're done for today. What's today? Tuesday. We'll do PFT PM on Wednesday at a minimum. We'll continue to take it one day at a time this week. Next week, I can't commit to doing any from Orlando. I'll try. Keyword try. I don't know how hard I'll try, but I'll at least try. Hopefully, you'll try to check us out tomorrow. PFT Live, NBC Sports Radio, NBCSN, ProFootballTalk.com, around the clock. As always, thanks for some of your time. Talk to you tomorrow. You can find the PFT PM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFT PM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.